from Virginia Humanities. This is Backstory. Welcome to Backstory, the show that explores the history behind the headlines. I'm Nathan Connolly. And I'm Joanne Freeman. If you're new to the podcast, we're all historians. And each week, along with our co-hosts, Ed Ayers and Brian Ballow, we explore a different aspect of American history. Now, there is no shortage of famous Supreme Court decisions. Marbury v. Madison, Plessy v. Ferguson, Brown v. Board of Education. But few of them are as currently controversial as the decision in Roe v. Wade, which decriminalized abortion. Ever since the ruling was decided in 1973, it's been simultaneously contested and celebrated. And now, Roe v. Wade is in the news again. States including Alabama and Missouri have passed laws that pose a direct challenge to the Roe decision, while others, including Illinois and New York, are shoring up abortion rights for women in their state. All this talk is leading some to ask, are we close to seeing the end of Roe? So on this episode, we explore the history behind a case whose details are often forgotten or misunderstood. We'll examine what women had to go through to find a safe abortion before the landmark ruling. And we'll hear the story of the real woman behind the most famous pseudonym in American legal history, Jane Roe. If you walked by a newsstand in the spring of 1972, a bold headline on the first issue of Ms. Magazine might have caught your eye. Women tell the truth about their abortions. The brainchild of feminist Gloria Steinem and Dorothy Pittman Hughes, Ms. Magazine helped pioneer a growing landscape of feminist media. And that spring, Ms. decided to make the issue of abortion rights front and center. It was actually quite a short article, um, two pages, um, the title, We Have Had Abortions. That's Kathy Spiller. She's executive editor of Ms. Magazine. And it was uh, signed by 53 American women who were inviting women all across the country to join them in a campaign for honesty and freedom. And they listed their names um, and declared that they had had abortions, uh, many of them illegal, some of them legal, um, because they lived in states that had loosened up their uh, abortion restrictions um, so that you could secure an abortion. But as they pointed out, even in those states, where a woman could find a legal abortion. They frequently had to go through humiliating um, interviews. They had to, uh, in some cases, declare you know, mental illness um, to be able to be approved to have an abortion. They had to seek approval uh, as opposed to making a decision that you wanted to access this health care and um, be able to do that without any judgment, without any social stigma, uh, and without any danger. And so they laid all of this out in really just one page and said they wanted as many American women um, to join them as possible because they were going to deliver all of these names to the White House and to every state legislature. Uh, and they were going to also tell feminists in other countries that were fighting similar laws and had uh, already begun similar kinds of petition campaigns um, to remove the restrictions on access to abortion. And so clearly, even from the beginning, recognizing not only how central the issue was for American women, but how central this issue is and was then for women all over the world. 
As part of their effort to get women to sign the petition, the article included an invitation for women to submit their own stories. There was a cutout coupon that said, uh, you know, we, we oppose the the laws that uh, make abortion illegal, uh, many of them uh, endangering women's lives. Sometimes women died from abortions, and that you would sign this and publicly join millions of other American women in demanding a repeal of all laws that restrict our reproductive freedom. And you would send that into the offices of Ms. Magazine in New York City, um, and they were collecting these coupons um, to present as petitions um, to government officials and uh, not only in in the United States, but uh, to share with women all over the world. Remember, this was the time that in the early 70s, um, women were now getting into college um, after the passage of Title IX uh, in 1972. And there was increasing realization that we had to to secure better laws against sex discrimination in the United States. This was the time that women were fighting and organizing for greater rights, uh, and that this would be in the very first issue of Ms. Magazine, its first major campaign that Ms. ever launched, really speaks to how the feminist movement was making progress and the demands they had uh, of lawmakers and and the solidarity, really. I mean, it was, it was a way to gather women together, no matter where you lived, that you were part of this bigger effort to secure rights for women. Kathy has an original copy of the issue, And so when we reached her at the offices of the Feminist Majority Foundation, we asked her to list some of the women whose names appear in the article. Gloria Steinem, uh, who was the founding editor of Ms. Magazine. Billie Jean King, very famous, obviously, at that time, um, tennis uh, champion. Letty Cotton Pogerbin, who was also a co-founder of Ms. Magazine. Um, I'm looking here. I recognize uh, Susan Brown Miller. Karen DeCrow, who would go on to be president of the National Organization for Women, or she might already have been president. She was an attorney in New York and would have known the uh, founders of Ms. Magazine. Barbara Tuckman, a historian, a famous historian. Susan Sontag. And then many women whose names are probably not known, uh, but who joined those er- that early campaign to launch um, this whole effort. The article resonated with women across the country, and it helped shape the ongoing debate about women's access to abortion. You know, the very first uh, issues were just snapped off the newsstands as fast as they could put them out, um, and with women writing in to the headquarters of Ms. Magazine that finally they knew they were, uh, they weren't crazy. After reading Ms., you realize that it's not you. It's not that, you know, that there's something wrong with you. In fact, there's something wrong with the laws or with society at large and its treatment of women. So it's it's usually just a great relief that uh, women had when they would pick up an issue of Ms. Magazine. And I have a feeling this was a major way, uh, by word of mouth, as women saw this article and, and the other articles in Ms. Magazine, um, that it really began to spread very fast. And this is also in the context that there were major efforts um, going on at the time to decriminalize abortion all across the country. It shined a bright spotlight on this critical issue from a feminist perspective, from a woman's perspective. At that time, 
many, many physicians were speaking out. There were massive efforts ongoing, and I think that what this did was put a face, a woman's face, on this issue. It absolutely helped light an even larger fire for the repeal of these dangerous laws. You'll hear more from our conversation with Kathy Spiller at the end of the show. For now, though, let's learn more about what it meant to criminalize abortion for women and for their doctors. <laughs> 